everybody. It's good to see me, isn't it? Don't answer that. That was rhetorical. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to season four of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I don't even know what that was. I, what was that? What's happening? That was my opening and doing my best Glinda. Oh. <laughs> yes, I am your ginger, Mackenzie, and I'm joined once again by the Canadian B. Arthur, the Alphaba of Canadian theater, the John yes. Adams of Canadian theater. It is the one and only, oh, and also now radio host, Ms. Autumn Smith. Hello, 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 everybody. <laughs> and Mackenzie, you're right. I am the Alphaba of Canadian theater. You that are. Very true. I relate very, very deeply to that character. Just as I deeply relate to Galinda. But also hilarious. I know, I know. You wouldn't think it, but I do. I find her a fascinating character. But um, also joining us for this episode, we have none other than our most frequent guest, uh, de our dear friend of both of ours, Ms. Lynn Slotkin, back for her sixth, I think, appearance now. Oh. Oliver. Wow. You've done 1776. Yeah. You've done Carousel. 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 I've done a lot. We've been told. Yes, exactly. Lynn's been here quite a bit, but she is a very welcome guest with great insights. And we brought her back for a musical that she has professed to hate. And Autumn, what is the musical we are talking about today? Bam, 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 bam. Wicked. That's right. Tell them how I am defying gravity. Yes, that's right. We're defying gravity this week as we kick off season yeah. four of this podcast. And we are talking all about the Aussie and prequel musical Wicked. Mac pick. This definitely was not an autumn or a Lynn pick. No. This this was one that I had that that I put on the docket, and I chose it because I like the story and the concept of what happened in Oz before Dorothy arrived. Oh, I think yes. that is a great initial concept for like a for a piece, and then you also have the great dilemma of nature versus nurture. Like, are people born wicked, or do they have or or do they have wickedness thrust upon them? which is like another great dilemma that, that gets explored in this show. Or is anyone truly wicked at all? There's the third option. That's the big question too. That is always the question. That is always the question. Isn't it? Mackenzie mm -hmm. Horner. It is. I mean, you and I have talked about antagonists and villains in this piece. There are no villains. I don't know. Uh, Madame Morble and the Wizard are pretty darn evil in this. They no, drop a house on not. someone. They're not. They're complicated. I think Linda is evil. I disagree. Evil. She's not evil at all. I disagree with that. Linda is calculated. She is manipulative. 
She has the power to change people's minds, and she doesn't do it when it comes to Elphaba. Moving on. <laughs> no, hold on. She's, We're not going to move not, on from this. She's not wicked. She's a herder. She she takes part in the herd mentality, mm-hmm. but she has to be truly wicked. You have no emotional response, and I think she struggles throughout a lot of the piece. I don't believe it for a second. She struggles a great. They've written that in that she struggles a great deal, and Alphaba and, and Glinda wants to clear Alphaba's name at the end of the show, and Alphaba says. Don't do it. If you do it, they will turn against you. No, no, no. The beginning scene of this yeah. musical is the end of the story. Correct. And then it and flashes she, back. And when she comes out, and it's been described, she has the position of power. She, she is floating above the people who want to who who, who want to believe that Alphabot was evil and terrible, etc. And she subtly says, well, she wasn't that bad and she really had a troubled life, but she knows the story of Alphabot and she doesn't do anything to change the mind. Because Alphabot says to her, don't clear my name. Because Alphabot's learned that in order to be a good politician and to, and to be someone who can actually do good, Elphaba's no, she has to take the fall. She goes, I'm limited. My well is poisoned. What, what Glinda has been able to do is she's been able to take the social justice that Elphaba wanted and can take that forward. But what she's good at is that she is, as Autumn said, she's the herd leader. She is going to be a leader who at the end, she says, I will be Glinda the good. Cause by the end of the show, it's revealed that she has gone from just being a, high school mean girl to being a puppet politician to now being a sincere politician who is out to actually do good. I don't believe one (laughs) word of anything she says because I have the entire musical that suggests it. You don't all of a sudden, oh, gee, you didn't change me for the better, but you changed me for good. That's a that is a, 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 a lyricist who hasn't read the book and trying to have a, a hit song. I thought I found everything about this crap. I, I wouldn't trust this, this vanilla uh, custard character for being a politician, except manipulative and wily. You have various sides of a story so alphabet can say don't clear my name and you can have somebody who really wants to do the right thing and be good what's the problem what is to be gained if you tell these people you know she really was positive she really tried hard she was uh put in this terrible corner because she looked different we have to change the way we think and because she has a position of power, Glinda could have done better, and she didn't. Hold on a second. It raises a very good question because she reminds Glinda to me reminds me of Kellyanne Conway in many ways, right? Like that kind of ditzy. I'm popular. I'm going to be a popular. Um, I'm going to make you popular. Everything's going to be fine and shiny. And oh, I lost the boy. And oh, well, well, um. But I kind of agree with Lynn. Like I do, I when I listened to it yesterday, I was like, okay, I feel 
for Glenda, but it's it's one more example, and maybe that is what Schwartz and and Holtzman were trying to say was, oh look at things could have changed, but they didn't because she she went back to doing things the political way. She was like, oh well, for me to survive in my position as Glinda the Good, I also have to call her wicked, and that was her sacrifice. Like, how much do politicians sacrifice of their own? Um, personal agenda and feelings for the actual politic and the press, mm-hmm. right? All the time. We, it's we, bullshit. We, we are never going to get to a, a place of change if we just keep putting band-aids on things. That's we right. can never change a system. Right. We can try. We can kill ourselves trying. But it's never gonna happen. So what's the alternative then? Because the well against Elphaba is being poisoned. There is no way that public is going to change their opinion. They've been that fed. is not true. I don't believe that for a second. If Elphaba is the one that's saying, oh, it's poisoned, it's never going to happen. You have the woman in power who has never had an, un, uh, uh, an unconfident moment Ever. She was popular. She was liked. They adored her. She could take that power and change people. And she didn't do it. As as um, Autumn says, because it's all politics. Oh, I want you to like me. Go. Don't bother me. And I got to pay money to see this dreck. <laughs> but we see it all the time. Like I how can- much sacrificing do we see in our own political realms. Yeah, this and, theater is life lived on purpose. And what they've done sure. is middle of the road. I'm not going to the theater for middle of the road. I want you to take a stand. I want you to make a point. I want you to show that real life can be better than it is. She didn't <laughs> do anything. You wanted hope, Lynn. Well, you know. The, no hope. The hope was in that first scene when she's floating above the crowd. Is there anything more powerful than that with people looking up at you? The Sermon on the Mount, that guy was on the hill and he had people coming from all over and they paid attention to him. Yeah. All of these these instances of of um of things happening you know friends roman countrymen lend me your ears the yeah. guy was above the crowd and he turned them of course one is shakespeare and the other is a is a crap lyricist of a broadway musical <laughs> it could so here's here's another thing that really upsets me about this musical while we are here all right, while we're here. And I know it's not in the initial book, but this was the opportunity to craft two women in love. And when I first listened to Wicked, I'm like, oh, are they falling for one another? Oh, this is going to be great. And then Piero came in. I'm like, oh, dancing through life. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, sink, sink. Okay, okay. okay. Right? Uh- right. 
Yeah. So yeah. So again, all the moral questions that get brought up in this, and all the conversation that generates, like our lovely Glinda debate that we had, like that's one of the reasons why I like this musical because you can you can debate this musical till the cows come home. Absolutely, you can. Yeah, and I mean, out of all the Stephen Schwartz's many musicals, like I do rank this as as one of his better ones. For, for this. I mean, mind you, I mean, we got Pippin, Godspell, Wicked, Prince of Egypt, Pocahontas. Baker's Wife. Baker's Wife. Children of Eden. Children of Eden. I would, I, I would rank this a little bit higher because I think the partnership he had with Winnie Holtzman and Joe Mantello and Mark Platt, I think that foursome worked really well together and crafted a really interesting, debatable piece. Doesn't mean every aspect you have to like about it, but it does certainly open the door for good conversation. Well, it's, it's, um, and what it has to say about politics and politicians and, and, and the mob mentality is as timeless as ever. I don't know how many people sitting there watching Wicked actually do this deep dive, but that's, you know. Well, once again, like that's the up to the individual, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's once again up to the individual person. Some people go to theater to enjoy the story and walk away at night and go, I, I was entertained. I had a good story told to me. The singing was nice. Mm-hmm. Some people want to talk deeper, but that's each, that's each individual audience member's preference. But what this piece does is it gives a gateway to have that conversation. Yes. This has an opportunity. Uh, it opens the door for conversation. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get to the door for the conversation, it closes itself in your face. <laughs> it doesn't do what it looks like it can do. She yeah. can change people at the end of that musical, which of course is the beginning of the musical because it's all flashback and she doesn't do it. And never mind what Glinda what sorry, what Elphaba says. Don't do it because they're not going to believe you. You're talking to a person who has had opposition and difficulty her whole life. And she's talking to a woman who has had nothing but good times and easy going her whole life. And so if she is now becoming more political or politic, she can take the power and use it for good and she doesn't. But who says she won't? Don't forget the the, no, the no, story no, no, no. starts I, the day no. after, like the day after Alphabet die or supposedly dies and melts. You can't start. You can't start changing everybody the first day after. That's no, that's a I time process. Only got that musical. I can't imagine what's coming next, and I shouldn't have to. I'm looking at a, a point, which is the end of the musical, and she does nothing. Mm. All right. Fair enough. Lynn, you and I will continue to debate this throughout the episode. I am game for this. <laughs> anyway, oh. but um, right. So anyway, so I first came to this show, though, because yes, that's why I chose it. But I came to it after I bought the CD when uh, at HMV, back when HMV was a thing. The music I automatically just gravitated to. Then I saw the first national tour when it came back to Toronto after its initial run with Megan Hilty and Shoshana Bean with my dad. Then I saw it in New York when my choir went to New York for, for, for a workshop trip where we did a Broadway workshop with the cast of Wicked. And we learned one short day and I got to say the line, the wizard will see you now 
I got selected to do the one the the one line. And then I saw it two more times in Toronto. One of the times was with my best friend and fellow commentator on this podcast, Miss Jessica Maxwell, the alphabet to my Galinda, as we like to say. Uh, and then the other time was with another friend of mine from camp because she because she had a spare ticket and wanted somebody to go with her. So I said, OK, I'll come. So this is a musical I've seen as many times as I've seen Les Mis on stage. It's been one of these shows that just keeps cropping up and people keep wanting to go and I end up somehow being looped along for the ride. So it's definitely a show I've had a lot. I've, I've sat through a number of times, listened to a number of times. Mm -hmm. So that's my experience with it. But Lynn, so if you, so how did you end up coming back for this episode that if you were so against the show? <laughs> I think it's important to talk about things that are wildly popular and wildly successful <laughs> and say, I disagree. I disagree for various reasons, but and I'm not being ornery to to take the opposite view. No, I saw it once. I saw it on Broadway with the original cast. Oh, that's lovely. Sorry, no, maybe I I can't even remember who I dislike more. Christian Chenoweth or Dina Menzel. Dina Menzel. Each one is trying to just burst my ear eardrums and <laughs> and wrestle me to the ground to like them for their absolute hysteria and I thought of course it's written that way every song is is a show-stopping song that wants to bludgeon you into submission and I thought oh please it is of course a Broadway musical it but, is it course, is it, it, it is meant to be a commercial Broadway show that's what it was designed to do that was it's we also cool. have really good Broadway musicals that are commercial ventures that are thoughtful and mm -hmm. Like like the Lincoln Center production of My Fair Lady, for example. It's mm -hmm. rethought and it's re reimagined mm -hmm. and puts in all sorts of interesting things. So yeah, so there yeah. we go. Yeah. So Autumn, how did you come to this piece? I mean, the Tony Awards probably was the viewing of this and i was like oh why that's a cute song i like yeah. that i'm yeah. defying gravity made oh she's floating in the air cool yeah that looks yeah. good and then i bought the album and i'm like oh this is nice mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. had not i did not know the story and then i was a doro watcher and i got free tickets to see the touring production there you go um and i was like oh i wonder if this was better on broadway because this looked lame. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Uh, I just, I wasn't, I was waiting for Defying Gravity. <laughs> whole first act. And then I'm kind of like, oh, this is kind of like Mean Girls in Oz. Mean Girls in Oz, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an apt description. And then I'm kind of like, oh, this could have been so much more interesting if they were a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I know this could have been so good if they were together and that was part of the struggle right yeah um and maybe if uh Gregory Maguire wrote it today he might have he might have they, added that in you never know so many things to say but so many things so many Trust things. me, Autumn, there is a large contingent of the fan base that thinks the same that thinks the same thing you do that Alf Pungalina should should have gotten together. Why? Why can't we make that part of the story? Like it's so it's so valuable. Mm -hmm. Like the father rejecting her. Mm -hmm. And in a way, 
in a way. It it's funny as I was listening to it, I'm like, oh, a good musical really needs to have otherness in it. Mm-hmm. It has to be the rejection of otherness. And then I was like, oh, that's why gay people are, you know, gravitate towards these stories because they're mm-hmm. about otherness through music. Yep, yep. you can identify oh, with Alphabet. But even like Rent, the hated musical, is about perceived otherness, but it doesn't work as well as other musicals because the otherness is accepted within and it's not Mm -hmm. about a struggle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Parade, Leo Franks. Uh, You look at uh, Sweeney Todd and, you know. Even Fiddler on the Roof. You got Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. The community against the Russians. The community struggle, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's interesting. It, it, it opened up a lot of thought bubbles for me. And was Glinda floating in those thought bubbles? <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> I got to that song at the end and I'm like, why didn't she get changed for the better? She should have been changed for the better, not and for good. That's the song. But that's a, a song is dishonest. That's why. It's we will get to that song. I have thoughts on that song. I have thoughts on that song. We will get kind to of that. a sales pitch. Oh well, I did my best with you. Go away now. <laughs> I think you guys are, are undercutting Glinda's journey in this musical. No, no, she has a journey, but she doesn't make the right choice. But know, that's human. Not everyone makes the right choice right away. Please. But we don't get to see her make the right choice, and I think. If you're going to have a piece of musical theater that is going to reach the masses, it's your obligation to ship that story so she makes a different choice. So you're saying we got to rewrite the opening Glinda monologue? No, I'm saying that they we, we're saying that they have to be more honest with all things. Mm. Yeah, they they, they uh, fudged and they they held back. Oh God, we can't be unpopular. Don't bother me. That might be life, but it's, but it's theater. Theater's life lived on purpose. You have the power to change something. And if you do nothing, why do I have to pay you to dribble? $500. Yeah, whatever. Just sit there and watch it. I was really glad I got to watch this one for free, but it could also be in the direction like it could be in that I d- I don't know if I have been changed for the better, but I have been changed for it. It's about the the specificity of those lines mm-hmm. and how Glinda can use those lines as a catalyst to become better. As she says at the end of the show, Glinda says, "Fellow Aussians, we have been through a frightening time, and there Gail's pitch, and there will be other times and other things that frighten us. But if you let me." I'd like to try to help. I'd like to try to be Glinda the Good. BS. It is BS. That's a sales pitch. Well, she's saying vote for me. Yeah. Well, the wizard's gone. Yes. The wizard, it's the a wizard's political tr- pitch. But if you let me, I will stand up and I will get rid of all of your fears. <laughs> she 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 could make a different choice. And she doesn't. But it for me, it's, I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think it's just, it's a statement on the choice that most people would, would choose. Mm-hmm. They would choose self-preservation. Alphaba was the one who exuded bravery. Yeah, she had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so for people who don't know the plot of Wicked, 
let we me give just told it to you. <laughs> well, kind of. Let, 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 let me give a proper plot rundown because we okay, do it. Picked our way through it. But so basically, Wicked tells the story of how Alphaba became the Wicked Witch of the West and Galinda became Glinda the Good Witch. Yeah, the musical begins right after the Wicked Witch has been melted and Glinda shows up to the celebrations to explain how this has happened. And then as she's leaving the celebration, she gets kind of gets the, the gotcha question thrown at her of, wait, weren't you guys roommates in school? Didn't you know her? And Glinda has to answer the question. And so then the musical flashes back in time to when they're to when Elphaba and Glinda were in university together at Shiz. And they, they were, were roommates. Forced, they were forced to be roommates. It's revealed that Elphaba has magical powers. And so she and so she is enlisted to Madame Morrible's sorcery class there's some mean girling that goes on with glinda and alphaba and then after uh, glinda is nice alphaba one night alphaba lets uh commission uh has madame morble let glinda into the sorcery class that changes glinda's mind about alphaba they start to become friends alphaba gets sent off uh to meet the wizard after uh her favorite professor dr dillman who is a talking goat uh reveals that following the great drought uh, the, uh, the, 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 the wizard and, and in the politics and the politicians and all that have been stripping the, the, the animals of their rights. And ultimately now their animals are losing their abilities to speak. And Dr. Dillman is the last animal professor arrested at the school and carted away. And then Alphaba says, I'm going to go talk to the wizard about this. And so she sets off to the Emerald city with Glinda. They show up, they meet the wizard. The wizard ha the wizard tests Alphaba's magical skills by tricking her into turning all these monkeys into flying monkeys, which then is revealed they're gonna be spies for the wizard. And it's revealed the wizard is behind all this- Evil. Uh, evil shenanigans. Alphaba flees with the, with, with the spell book. Glinda chases after her to try and convince her to come back. At the same time, you have Madame Morble who has now become the press secretary for the wizard. And she and the wizard brand Alphaba the Wicked Witch, and they discredit her to the public. And so Alphaba escapes on her new broom, her flying broom that she's enchanted, and she escapes into the sky. She and defies Glinda, gravity. She defies gravity. Glinda's offered the chance to come with Alphaba, but she can't do it. So ultimately, that's how the paths are forged in. And that's how Act One ends. Act Two opens with Glinda now being christened Glinda the Good by the wizard. And she is announcing her engagement to her to her longtime school boyfriend, Fiero. And ultimately we find out how Madame Marble has spun the story of Glinda and Alphaba, where, where how Alphaba was sneaking and she was caught. And so she was angry at Glinda. And so she's evil. And we hear all these other rumors about Alphaba that's, that are going on. And then at the and then Fiero gets angry about these rumors. And so he storms off, leaving Glinda on the podium alone. Glinda has a moment of realization of just how hollow this victory is. At the same time, you have Alphaba who's on the run. She goes to her sister, Nessa Rose, for help. Uh, and ultimately that doesn't go well for her. Uh, and, and Alphaba leaves her sister and goes back to the wizards. Because uh, Nessa is also power hungry. Well, well, hold on. Nessa isn't power hungry. She's selfish. She she never, she, 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 she goes, she goes, Alphaba said, it's no, power thing. hungry is, is wanting power. Nessa Rose is just someone who, once again, she's been in a wheelchair all her life. She's feel, she's felt passed over. And then ultimately, no matter what Elphaba does to help her, 
it's never enough because Nessa Rose is always wanting more. Well, she's entitled. She is. She's been the spoiled little sister. But she's she's also she's also power hungry because she takes over the governance of Munchkinland. Well, no, her dad she, dies and she and she ascends because she's next in line. Yeah, she takes over governance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She takes yeah, over governance. Yeah. She and she she eradicates the Munchkins' uh, rights. Right. She does. So <laughs> she's power hungry, and she does it because she wants to keep her boyfriend in line, and he's yes. a Munchkin. Yes, his name is Bach, and he Bach. He and does. He, in. he, he, great he does. He, it is a great name. But it, so the meeting doesn't go well, and Alphaba goes back to see the wizard, and she tries to free the monkeys as part of the deal. Uh, and then ultimately, the deal falls apart when Alphaba sees her her long lost professor, Doctor Dillman, who's now being reduced to his basic animal goat form. He he has lost the ability to speak. Alphaba realizes just how evil the wizard is, and so she renounces the wizard's deal altogether. And just as they're about to catch Alphaba, Fierro breaks into the room, and they escape together because he, he he reveals his love for her the whole time. Which, but he's a scarecrow at this point. No, not yet. He hasn't turned into the scarecrow yet. Oh, sorry. They, that's coming up, though. <laughs> so they break a away. Lot, there's a lot of plot reiteration. There is. Oh, there is. they go back to, oh, oh. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. they, so yeah, so they escape. Glinda's obviously hurt that her fiance has now run off with her, uh, with her roommate slash best friend. Uh, and so she reveals to the wizard and Madame Morrible that if you want to catch Alphaba, threaten her sister. Her, if her sister is threatened, she will come out of hiding for you. So Morrible and the wizard summon this cyclone, which brings Dorothy's house to Oz, and they drop the house on Nessa Rose, killing yeah. Nessa Rose, which then lures Alphaba out of hiding so she can pay her last respects. Uh, and she's angry at Galinda, who's given away the ruby shoes, which are the only thing that was left of her sister. They start, they start to have a fight, then the guards show up to arrest Alphaba. Once again, Fear shows up, stops them by threatening to kill Galinda, and Alphaba escapes once again. But this time, Fierro is captured and he's hung out in a field to be tortured. And Alphaba, to protect him, casts a spell, not knowing what she's just done as she's turned him into a scarecrow. Because she says, let him not feel pain, let him not bleed, let him not die. So I get. So I guess the spell chose to turn him into a scarecrow. Uh, at that point, now the kind of the story follows the Wizard of Oz, where now the mob goes off to kill the Wicked Witch. Uh, and so they go off to march to the castle. Uh, as sent out by the wizard who says you have to go kill the witch and bring me back her broomstick. Uh, and what we don't know is that prior to the mob showing up at the castle, Glinda and Elphaba meet up at the castle and they have this final heart-to-heart -heart conversation with each other. Elphaba gifts Glinda the book, the spell book, and says you'll have to learn to read it. Like you'll have to, you'll have, you'll have to do better. You have to be better and do better. And so Glinda hides, they melt Elphaba. Glinda then discovers that Alphaba is the daughter of the wizard. And so the wizard, heartbroken by this discovery that he's killed his daughter, leaves Oz on, in, in his hot air balloon, and Glinda locks up Madame Morble in a prison for, for, for all her crimes and misdeeds. And Glinda, at the end, is left to go around Oz to, to make her, I guess, her campaign to be the new leader of Oz as Glinda the Good. 
And then we find out at the very end that Elphaba survived her melting by hiding in a trap door. The, the, the rumors that were spread about her melting because of water were not true. And her and Fierro escape Oz. And that is the end of the show. And go. Well, well, in the well, no, in the original draft of the book of the script, it was supposed to be that Alphaba and Fierro escape into somewhere else in Oz, and they start helping the animals learn to speak again. But it was felt that was too long and too hard to explain at the end. So I said they just had them walk through a door. <laughs> in the book, she dies. Okay, so in the book. It's implied that she dies. However, McGuire says she'll be back. And throughout the other installments of this book series, it's been implied that Elphaba is on her way back. Again, it's I think that's a political statement so people will keep reading the books. I don't think she's coming back. I think she's dead. And she should die. That is, that is the point. It's like bringing Leo Franks. Oh, we didn't actually lynch him. <laughs> and then we find out he has a pencil factory in uh, the Bronx. <laughs> We're like, come on. I okay, was so we disappointed when she peeked out of the trapdoor and went, hello. I'm like, no way. Hold on. We will get more into so the end of this because it, it does come up in production history. But for now, Autumn, let's get yeah. into the creative team. We've already talked about Stephen Schwartz. Uh, yeah, we talked we got? about Schwartz uh, with our Godspell. Yeah, pre in the way of the Lord. Ugh. For 50 minutes. <laughs> uh, so anyway, just a brief reminder of who this guy is. Stephen Schwartz, American musical theater lyricist and composer. Mm -hmm. Other works include Pippin. Godspell, our fave. Yeah. Uh, the Baker's Wife, which does have one beautiful song in yeah, it. Yeah, Meadowlark. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Pocahontas. And Pocahontas. And also Prince of Egypt. And Prince of Egypt. Yes. So there's some stuff there. There's, there's some good stuff, stuff in there. There's some good stuff. Yeah. The book originally was written by Gregory Maguire. Uh, just called Wicked. The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the, the West. The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. Very good. It's a great book. I suggest reading it. So Gregory Maguire did that. And then the book of this particular musical mm -hmm. was written by Winnie Holtzman. Yes. And Winnie Holtzman uh, is an American dramatist, screenwriter, mm -hmm. and poet. Mm -hmm. um, she is uh, most popularly known, other than this uh, wicked uh, thing that she's done with Schwartz, Mm -hmm. For writing the series My So-Called Life, hmm. which was the career catalyst of one Claire Danes and Jared Leto. Indeed. Um, it was great at the time. I'm going to have to go back and revisit it. I really enjoyed watching it in my 20s. <laughs> um, but uh, she also wrote for 30-something Mm -hmm. and once and again which i've never heard of mm -hmm. um she also uh has done other things for the stage and mackenzie <laughs> i always try to find things that um make you laugh at my personal uh connection to things love it Give one it to of me. her other main pieces um that she wrote for the stage was when she was at nyu okay 
And she wrote the book of the musical Birds of Paradise with composer David Evans. Now, David Evans happened to go on to be the musical director of Wicked Mm -hmm. on Broadway and has been so for a very long time. It's a good paying job. And his uh, his wife is a friend of mine, Catherine Cox, starred in Baby and Footloose. And I have spent time with David and Catherine at their house. They are lovely, lovely. Six degrees of Autumn Smith, everybody. Six degrees of Autumn Smith. That ends the Autumn Connection section. Love it. Podcast. Love it. I love that. But I was reading that. I'm like, David Evans. And I'm like, is that the same David Mm -hmm. Evans that I know? And then, of course, I was reading through and I'm like, wicked. Of course it's David. Connect. So they've worked together prolifically, which is really nice that that, yeah. that came full circle for him. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I, other than that, I don't think that she's done a lot of stuff for. She doesn't need to. She's getting good royalty from Wicked. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Joe Montello uh, yes, directed director. it, American uh, actor and director who is best known for his work on Broadway, including Wicked. Mm-hmm. Take Me Out, which he did win the uh, directing award for at the Tonys. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite musicals, Assassins. Yes. And, and, he, and he was also the original Lewis and Angels in America. Yeah. I'm a big Joe Mantello fan. Although yes. this one, I'll give him a pass on. I'll be like, but he does a, like he does a lot of stuff. He directs opera. Mm-hmm. He's like he's he's one of those yeah. directors that can transcend genre and yeah, um, which I admire. Mm-hmm. I admire about him as yeah. a director. I think that's yeah. really great. All right. Well, let's get into production history, shall we? Yes, please do. All right. So this musical started out in 1995 as a book, as we said by Gregory Maguire, mm-hmm. and the book's good reviews. Uh, particularly out in LA, made it so Universal Studios and Debbie Moore's production company bought the rights to the book. And they started working on screenplays with Mark Platt acting as the producer of the piece. And the screenplays were not going anywhere. They, They were finding the adaptation becoming very convoluted and overly complicated and very dense. And Stephen Schwartz was on vacation. Exactly. Exactly. So Stephen Schwartz was on vacation. And, he, and a friend of his was reading the book and they said, this is the premise. And Stephen Schwartz was like, interesting premise. And he read the book and he said, okay, I, I, think, I think there's a musical here. So he knew Platt and, and went out to Platt because Platt's done Broadway and musicals as well. He's produced many things. He, right. For example, he is producer, producer of La La Land. Yes, Lynn. He's the father of Ben Platt. Dear of handsome Ben Platt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we won't talk about your Hansen right now. Stay, stay tuned to, to September when Autumn and I do our movie review of that, of Dearvin Hansen. <laughs> but yeah, so Mark Platt, producer, new, new Stephen Schwartz, he liked the concept of doing this as a musical, so he said, let's do it. Um, so that at that point, Schwartz brought on Winnie Holtzman because they had been having coffee together. She had found the book, thought it would make a good concept for a show. But because of the rights being bought by Universal, she thought I'll never have a chance of getting at it because they're doing a film version. No chance whatsoever. So now it was turned into a stage show. So the writing process really started out with the three of them, Platt, 
Schwartz and Holtzman sitting in Platt's office, just banging out the story beats on cue cards before they even started writing. They just spent months just trying to figure out how do you adapt this mammoth of a 400 page book into a, into a musical. So what they figured out was what they had to do was basically they had to kind of simplify it a bit, like hone down the plot. So Schwartz came in, he said, I know what I want the beginning and the end and the middle of the show to be. He goes, the beginning of the show has to open with the death of the Wicked Witch of the West and kind of a ding dong, the witch is dead moment of the show. Then act one needs to end with Elphaba flying for the first time. And then the show ends once again with the melting of the Wicked Witch, but now we see it in, in a new perspective. Now I went, okay, great kind of stake points we got to hit. And then they started writing. So for example, the opening number originally was supposed to feature the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, the Lion, and Madame Morrible, and a bunch of ensemble members hawking memorabilia of the witch and singing ding and, and basically doing a No One Mourns the Wicked song. However, they felt that was too on the nose and too much like, hey, we don't need to see these iconic characters right off the top. It's going to detract from the alphabet story. So they chopped that. And then what really changed the writing process was during the first workshop, they cast Christian Chenoweth as Glinda. And the minute they cast her as Glinda, it very quickly, particularly to Holtzman, became a story about these two women and their friendship. And so she went, that's that. And then Schwartz went, well, this the opening number is where we can utilize Kristen's operatic soprano voice because they hadn't found a spot for that in the show. So that's how we got the opening number with Glinda coming down in the bubble and singing on those high, beautiful mm. notes that she does. That's how that all came to be. It's pretty awesome. It is awesome. It's a, it's a good, it's a good opening. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also Holtzman who decided to add Glinda, Alphaba, and Fierro's love triangle because in the original book, Fierro uh, has a wife and child of, of, of his own. So that was like, we're going to cut that. We're going to make it a love triangle. Simplify. Once again, simplify. You keep the skeletal structure, but you change the innards. So other major changes from the book to the musical include, once again, Fierro turning into the Scarecrow. Elphaba thinks he might become the Scarecrow, but we never get confirmation of that. Elphaba's survival at the end in the original version, she she dies, she, they burn her and she melts. Nessa Rose in the original book is born without arms, uh, but on the stage show they had her uh, be in a wheelchair. Uh, Bach becoming, uh, having a, a continuing his love interest in Glinda well after Shiz in the book, they kind of end their love interest at Shiz when Glinda says, don't love you, Bach moves on. Also the fact that Bach becomes the Tin Man was adopted from another character, Nick Chopper. So they basically combined that into one plot point. Uh, they also completely cut the years of Elba's years in Vincus, the deletion of Lear's birth, which is the son of Elphaba. Fierro having a wife and child was cut. Dr. Dilliman's murder was cut. And Madame Morrible goes to prison instead of dying like at the end of the book. So originally though, they did have Dr. Dilliman dying in the stage show and that, and at the funeral would be where Glinda announced she's changing her name to Glinda versus Galinda. And it'd be the first time where Elphaba shows up all in black in the iconic black hat and dress look. That was going to be the first one we saw her in the, that iconic look. Ultimately, they felt that the, the funeral was bogging down the end of Act One. The whole point was get to the wizard. So they were like, we, so they changed it. They have the Dr. Dillman arrested. And ultimately, he actually is given a fate worse than death because they take away his power to speak. He's left kind of as a goat at the end. So if anything, that's, I'd say that's worse than killing him off is that he now has to live the life he never wanted it to live. Hurts. Exactly. 
So darker ending. So McGuire did end up attending a workshop reading a year before they went to San Francisco. And McGuire had said all throughout the writing process was, I wrote the book the way I saw it. And now you guys do what you need to do. As long as it stays true to the basic concepts and tone, I'll be happy with your adaptation. So he saw the workshop and he was initially not overly happy about the fact Alphabet survived because he didn't feel it was tragic enough. But then he saw the San Francisco tryout and he saw the chemistry between Adina Menzel and Christian Chenoweth and, the, and their friendship. And, he, the fact that he, and, and the fact that he goes, the fact they will never speak or see each other again, which is technically a death, is just, and he, go, he goes, that yeah. is just tragic and bittersweet. So it yeah. honors my ending of my book just in a different yeah, way. That's true. So that was that. So the show goes out to San Francisco and right before San Francisco, that's when Adina Menzel was brought on for the show and Joe Mantello was hired as the director. The tryouts began on June 10th, 2003. The cast included Christian Chenoweth as Glinda, Adina Menzel as Alphaba, Robert Morris as the wizard, Norbert Leo Butts as Fierro, Michelle uh, Federer as Nessa Rose, Carol Shelley as Madame Morrible, John Horton as Dr. Dilliman and Kirk McDonald as Bach. Stephanie J. Block, future Tony winner, was, was originally in all the workshop readings of Alphaba, for Alphaba. And then they cast Adina Menzel for the lead because they felt Adina Menzel was actually going to be a bigger name because of her success with Rent. But- They uh, stuck with Stephanie J. Block. Well, so she was the, uh, so she was the standby Alphaba, but then she went off when it transferred to Broadway to go off and do The Boy from Oz where she got a Tony nomination. With Hugh Jackman, so worked out for her in the end, and she also did it up playing Alphaba on Broadway, and was the original Alphaba in the first national tour. And she and she goes, you know what? It wasn't my time to be Alphaba because when she did it on tour, that's where she met her husband, and they now have a child together. So she goes, it all everything happened for a reason. It all worked out in the end for me. Yeah, but it so, would have saved our ears. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> but I go, everything happens for a reason. And Stephanie J. Block, she goes, at the time, seeing Adina win the Tony, well, I was a little hurt, but she goes, ultimately, I got my husband, which is the better prize. So, say <laughs> la vie. Um, so, one of the ba- so, after the show closed in San Francisco, they took a three-month hiatus to rewrite a lot of the script. They wanted to focus on uh, balancing out Alphaba and Galinda, because critics felt that Edita Menzel was not as balanced as Glinda was in the original version. They also took out the number, uh, Which Way to the Party, which was Fierro's big opening dance number, because they felt it wasn't fitting with Nora Leo Butts. Instead, they replaced it with Dancing Through Life, as they felt they had to mu- make a much clearer distinction of this song is all about Fierro stating his philosophy of breezing through life, which wasn't coming through. The original song felt just like a forced dance number. It's like, we haven't had a dance number yet. We need a dance number. And not using your brain. Exactly. Which is ironic that he becomes the scarecrow. Is it ironic or is it just good setup that that's what he becomes? Well, it just gets set up. Yeah, exactly. So ultimately the show did open on Broadway at the Gershwin Theater on October the 8th, 2003 for its previews with its, with its, with its official opening night, October the 30th. The original production and team remained the same for the show, except for a few principal cast changes, including... Joel Gray now took on the role of the wizard, William Yomanis as Dr. Dillamond, and Christopher Fitzgerald as Bach. The production was nominated for 10 Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Orchestrations, Best Book, Best Original Score, Best Choreography, Best Costume Design, Lighting Design, Scenic Design, and also received two nominations, one for, for Best Actress, one for Dina Menzel, one for Chenoweth. 
Who won? Menzel, Adina Menzel won the award for Best Actress that night, and the show also won the Tony Award for Best Scenic Design and Best Costume Design. It lost Best Book, Best Original Score, and Best Musical to Avenue Q. Rightfully so. <laughs> A much smarter piece. I will happily say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then in March 2006, Wicked passed the $1 billion mark in total Broadway revenue, joining both The Phantom of the Opera and The Lion King as the only Broadway shows to do so. In July, 2007, in July 2017, Wicked surpassed uh, Phantom of the Opera as Broadway's second uh, highest grossing musical, trailing only The Lion King, and then Wicked celebrated its 16th anniversary on Broadway on October 30th, 2019, and on October 28th of that year, for its 6,681st performance and surpassed Les Miserables as Broadway's fifth longest running show. And the last thing I will say on production history is the film adaptation has been in the works for a long time. And the most recent announcement is that Crazy Rich Asians and In the Heights director, John M. Chu has now been hired as the film's director with Mark Platt still acting as the film's producer. And apparently Schwartz and Hoffman are writing new music and new scenes for the film. Why? Why? Because that's what they want to do. Ugh, it's an ego thing. Yeah. Just Either leave way. leave it as it is. Just leave it alone. Well, either way, Autumn, there's a movie version coming. Let's get into our top three songs of the musical. Lynn, as our honored guest and Glinda hater, what is your first choice of song? Okay, I will say, what is this feeling? up all of the relationships etc mm -hmm. sets up the relationships i find it's not forced uh and uh, i i think it's a, an honest song i agree it is an honorable mention it almost made my list because i do love it it's a great song to follow the big i want song because it sets up once again all the students now become the mob going glinda you are just too good how do you stand it? I don't think I could. She's a terror. She's a tartar. We don't mean to show our bias, but Galinda, you're a martyr. It's a great mob line. It just shows what they are. They're a herd. They, they are a herd. They're sheep. Boring, but yeah. sheep. Yeah. This is like the high school. I love the way the music's written where you have Glinda and Alphaba having their track of music while you still get the students on their side. Yeah. It's so, it's so, and the fact that this so is their fifth girls. attempt at writing this song. They couldn't figure it out until, Autumn, you'll like this, Platt went and saw Hairspray, 
And he came back to Schwartz and said, I know what's wrong with this song. We, ha- we don't have the energy we need here. We need a faster tempo to this piece. Yeah. Because it need- we need the energy to pick us up and keep going through. Hairspray's first batch of songs are all fast. They have high energy that carry the story. Well, almost all of Hairspray is fast. It is... Look, talk about a musical that I mean, I mean, I can't speak more highly of that musical because it's, our campy, on it. it's campy. It is a performance, but the performance is with purpose. It's like good drag. Autumn, what is your number one song? I love this. Define Gravity. And I think it is probably, it's not that it's the, you know, the 11 o'clock number, which it is. It's the 11 o'clock number at the end of Act one. 1. But it's true. Something has changed within me. Like she's mm-hmm. very honest. Yeah. And I side with Alpha. I am, I am an Alphaba. I am the person. That's why I called you the Alphaba. Keeps fighting and nothing, no one gets it. It's, yeah. it's and so all you can do is, fly above everybody else and go look at me what aren't you getting yeah why do you have to stand elevate elevate with me it is an well, she opportunity wants to elevate people with her. to elevate mm-hmm. with her and no one does because it's safer on the ground cowards so define gravity and you go girl you fly as high as you want it's I'm a with great, you. It, it's a beautiful end to the first act. Like it ends on a big <laughs> note, literally. It's just, it's and like, it, it, no. it tells a beautiful story. And Lily, the music feel, you can feel the flying in the music. And there's such great, and I like the way, I like the way it's structured. Cause you have the first part, which is the, I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy now. And they're at each other's throats. Huh. Then Alpha almost convinces Galinda to get on the broom with her. But then Galinda yeah, that jump yet. Yeah, she but she can't make doesn't. that jump yet because she's being brought up. Because don't forget where Glinda comes from. She I comes know. from the upper of upperlands, meaning she has come from the world that if I stay in my box, I'm good. I follow the rules. I am. If, if I stay where I am, I am okay. But it makes Glinda, her coward. It doesn't it make her makes, coward. She just hasn't yes. had that life experience or chance to make the change. It's yeah. her chance. It's her chance. She misses her chance. A lot something. of people do that because right. they're, because they're she, naturally scared to make that change. Glinda should She's, go. Lynn, what did you think of Defying Gravity? I hate Defying Gravity. Is it on your other list? Um, uh, well, I hate all of these songs that are trying to bludgeon you to death mm. with, their, with their high notes, with their anger, with their energy. I mean, thinking that, that, that a song doesn't have enough energy, that's all this musical has is this constant over orchestration and constant upbeat 
bashing of you into submission to like absolutely everything. Defying gravity, if I hear one more high note from these singers, I loathe both of them. Screepy, um, desperate, please, please like me. As artists, drive me crazy. Defying gravity, I'm thinking by this time, I'm thinking I can't bear you. I don't even know if it's the music that I like in this. I think it's the 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 message. The but she has a struggle within it. Like something has changed within me. I this is my only recourse. I and I understand the 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 angst paired with the sublime, right? Mm-hmm. Just I wish it were I I kind of agree with Lynn. I wish it were there were another way. A little bit less sledgehammery. Yeah, it's a bit sledgehammery. Mm-hmm. But that that seems to be a trend in musicals. <laughs> you know, how how can we hit you over the head so you don't have to think you get it by the time you walk out of the theater. This is about being other. <laughs> and it's okay to be other. <laughs> Otherness will win. Lies. Lies. Mm-hmm. You're going to be grounded very soon, Alphaba. Right. Mm-hmm. So my number one is thank goodness. I couldn't be happier because happy is what happens when all your dreams come true. opening to act two and i like it because it's a really good opening to the second act it's right away you're back into the story it tells you what's happened over the time that's elapsed we get we get to see how the media is now spinning alphaba and producing all these rumors yeah. about her creating the fear mongering which we see every day in our media that they can that, that they, the minute they pick a villain they're going to vilify them and when this was written at the time this was right before the war in iraq so right before the war on terror, right? So reflecting the world that 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 was being written in at the time. The war on terror that America started. Oh, exactly. Oh, um, ironic. Right? So you're getting that set up. You also have the engagement of Fierro and Glinda is announced, which is another plot point to the piece. We're seeing Fierro starting to buck his kind of domesticality, I guess, where he's kind of just accepted it and kind of gone along because he's now promoted to captain of the guard he's engaged but he's like i'm not liking this i'm not enjoying this life and glinda is also having this realization because she says that's why i couldn't be happier no i couldn't be happier though it is i admit the tiniest bit unlike i anticipated but she tries to convince herself but i couldn't be happier simply happier well not simply because getting your dreams is strange, but it seems a little well complicated. 
There's a kind of a sort of cost. There's a couple of things get lost. There are bridges you cross you didn't know you crossed until you crossed. And if that joy, that thrill doesn't thrill like you think it will, still with this perfect finale, the cheers and a ballyhoo, who wouldn't be happier? So I couldn't be happier because happy is what happens when all your dreams come true. Well, isn't it? Happy is what happens when your dreams come true. And that's why I go, this is what makes Glinda complicated because she does have the realization of this, what, what I've achieved is hollow. And that's what spurs her to be Glinda the good. But along the way, she has the misstep of portraying Nessa Rose. But that is out of a moment of hurt not a calculated vengeful tactic it's a hurt those are very clever lyrics and i don't know if anyone will ever hear those unless they have them written right in front of them they're extremely clever and that's what i like and that's what i like about glinda she she gets the situation and we'll get to that in my second choice she also knows how to spin it like those lyrics those lyrics make her argument hollow because they're so clever right but this is an internal model this is her soliloquy just like Alphabet has her defined gravity soliloquy, this is Glinda's soliloquy, where she's having that realization of everything I've worked for and achieved doesn't feel like it should. I have gone to the top of the mountaintop, but I'm not fulfilled. I've missed something. I've crossed a bridge I didn't know I crossed. And that bridge is she didn't get on the broom with Alphabet. Yeah. It's her realizing her moment of cowardice has now cost her something. That's that's amazing that she's realizes. So what's she going to do about it? Nothing. Exactly. Well, she swears to be Galinda the Good. I don't care. What does that mean? What does that mean to her? Absolutely hollow. It means she means she'll be sincere with what she does. She's not going to be a puppet politician because this is her scene to be the puppet politician. I don't believe her. If you have not established any kind of truthfulness before then, any kind of solidness, any kind of weight, then everything after that is just baloney. And that's what we have with this one. It's all vanilla. They might be very clever lyrics, but I don't believe a one word of them coming from this character because she hasn't earned my my believing her. She does nothing after that. Isn't that great? I'm going to be Glinda the Good. Don't bother me. You don't have a multi-million dollar Broadway musical for nothingness. I don't think. Ah, could be wrong. <laughs> wonderful, 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 wonderful. Well, that's my number one, because I like the soliloquy in the middle. Good. <laughs> that is just so not good. good. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah, so I think it's a great way to open the second act because it's the answer it to is. the soliloquy of defying gravity. For you're right, it Linda's is Linda's answer to that, and she does she it, it does allow her struggle, but her struggle is hollow. It just shows everyone how hollow she is. In the you know by the end of the show, they're like, oh yeah, right. But isn't that a it lot? Is. That's like a lot of politicians. That's like a lot of people. I but that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. Lynn, what's your number two? Uh, as long as you're mine. Say there's no future for us as a pair. I may know I don't care. Just for this moment. 
love that song. It's quiet. It's thoughtful. It's it brings in intelligence. Uh, I'm not bludgeoned to death. Uh, I find it uh, his change is realistic. And, um, you know, I love I, you know, I, I must admit I was look, I was trying to see anything in this musical that I could that I could champion and like. And uh, so this is my second. It's a good love song. It, it didn't make my list. As Autumn knows, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of love duets. It's not it's not mm-hmm. usually my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a very lovely. It's a passionate piece in the forest. It's a great moment uh, for uh, uh, for Alphaba and Fiero. <coughs> I mean, it's nice that she gets the guy, even if that does mean <laughs> That, that, that her friend loses her fiance, but I mean, both of them hurt each other. Like Glinda goes after, or, or Glinda sets uh, the wizard and Morble off to go get the sister, Elphaba gets Fiero. And I mean, they have a great dialogue scene right after this moment <laughs> at Nettles Grave where they both debate with each other. So I like this, I, I do like the scene and, I, and the way it's staged is always gorgeous with the the um, gobos of uh, of the forest trees and the smoke, it's very well staged in the in uh, in it. So yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it's a, it's a good romance duet. Just not on my list. Autumn is to make your list. No, my second song is like my first song, and I like the lyrics of it. It's no good deeds. No good deed goes unpunished. No act of charity goes unresented. No good deed goes unpunished. That's my new queen. I wrote a good intention that we're such a road away. No good deed goes unpunished. That was my honorable mention. I and thoroughly enjoy that song but autumn you talk about it first but it's the messaging of it and it's kind of like you know we we keep putting ourselves out there to do good deeds but it's the people that do good deeds that seemingly just get smacked back to go you know all the time and it's it's an existential crisis well yeah whereas when she says at the end i'm wicked i am through through since i cannot succeed yeah. Well, yeah, the the good guy never gets good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, once again, like her intentions were good, helping the lion, helping Bach, helping Fiero, helping Nessa Rose, but ultimately... You can't be yeah. good against masses, mm-hmm. against systems. Mm-hmm. You can say you're going to be good, but as soon as you try to do good, you are dismantled, vilified called wicked but once again her choosing her good deeds is her choosing a side glinda never chooses a side she stays in the middle she plays politics and stays in the middle which is why she never is vilified she's alphabet's choice to save the lion while noble the lion then turns around and goes well because you saved me i i'm now cowardly or bach goes well because you saved me now like now i'm a tin man I have no heart, but it's like, well, if she didn't save you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be here today to do, to march against the castle. Only a person without a heart can say such a thing. Right? <laughs> there lies the irony, right? Yes, exactly. Like, uh, 
it's uh yeah yeah it's a great complex song i mean schwartz was on point with these magic lyrics the alakanaman machu machu melakanaman like just that pace that he does it's great it's, it's and it's you know she, she it's big I, and, I, and i know when it's very sledgehammery it's big and it's loud it is, it is big <laughs> it's loud and I think it's, I think I just wanted some existential angst to come into this very vacant musical about complacency mm. and cowardice. And here's this person going, you know what? Screw all you people. Yeah. I am a good person. And you all say you're amazing and good and you're not doing anything. Yep. And isn't that just the thing that happens all the time? Yep. So no good deeds. Go All on, right. And it is true. Yeah. Lynn, what's your there thoughts you on No Good Deed? Uh, I had that as three. Ah, very good. We got uh, a match. Even though I loathe the person singing it, <laughs> I, I I agree with Autumn. The, it says everything that you need to hear. And it's it's true in a way. You know, she's feeling sorry for herself, etc. But I think on the whole, I like that song a lot. And and it's it's it says everything. It's it's a it's a timeless message. Yeah. That no good deed will go unpunished. There will always be someone who will not like the deed you did. That's true. Okay, so your number two was no good deed. Lynn's yours was as long as you're mine. My number two is popular. <laughs> with unprepossessing features I remind them on their own behalf to think of celebrated heads of state or especially great communicators did they have brains or knowledge don't make me laugh <laughs> they were popular please it's all about popular it's not about aptitude it's the way you're viewed so it's very shrewd to be popular like me of course it is yeah well you know i i i i am on the galinda train i think there is something here you think I, this is galinda's story i i full on would i i'll full on debate someone on that go for it but we're not that that's a whole other side combo that'll be a patreon combo of whose story is this galinda or is it alphabet because that's a whole other tangent but yeah so i like popular because it's a layered deceptive song. It's bubbly and it's perky. And Glinda's doing her own sort of weird hollowed version of helping Alphaba by like doing, like do, giving her the makeover. But Glinda's also smart. She has the line of, it's not, it's not about aptitude, it's the way you're viewed. So it's very shrewd to be very, very popular like me. So Glinda, you, like everybody thinks she's just a dumb ditzy blonde. No, but she no, shows no. from the very beginning. She is smart. She knows how to play she's the ditzy. system. I have never once thought she is ditzy. No. A lot of characters I think she's incredibly smart. She knows how to play people. She does. Manipulative. That's highly and conniving. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that there's anything positive about that. No, well, once again, this is the first step in her journey. Like this is a very hollow act that Glinda's doing of let me like brush your hair, give you lipstick and, 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 and basically show you how to flirt. 
Like that's basically like, what course. she does in that scene. You know something, Mac? I don't care about her, her journey. She's not important enough as a human being for me to invest more time in worrying or concerning that she has a journey or anything else. She has told, she has shown me her true colors and I'm so not interested. I mean, I still, it's short. Yeah. I mean, I full on think I, I, I enjoy the duplicity of this piece where, cause I don't think people pick up on how smart socially Glinda is. I think people just think she is the pretty blonde. I don't think people realize just how on it she is about. She's Regina George. She is Regina George. She is Regina George, but everybody kind of goes, oh, it's Glinda the good. Nobody realizes just how calculating she can be. How does one get to be good in the public's eye? That's an interesting question. Well, yeah, you have to be told they're good, right? I mean, Glinda's whole PR campaign is that the wizard summoned her to, to before her and proclaimed her Glinda the good officially. That's the PR line that Madame Morrible says in, in my last choice, thank goodness. She's, oh. Madame Morrible says, and Glinda dear, we are happy for you. As press secretary, I've striven to ensure that all of Oz knows the story of your braverism. How vividly I remember the day you were first summoned to an audience with Oz. And although he would not tell you why initially, when you bowed before his throne, he decreed you hence be known as Glinda the Good officially. And with a jealous squeal, the wicked witch burst from concealment where she had been lurking surreptitiously. So that's the PR. Like, Glinda didn't do anything good. Madame Morble's just spinning the story. Yes. Did popular make your other list, Autumn? N no. No, I like the song. I think it's fluffy and ridiculous. And who cares? It, Lynn? It's, it's neither here nor there. Lynn, did it make your other list? No. Autumn, what is your third choice? My third, this might come as a surprise. Okay. But it's No One Mourns the Wicked. No one mourns the wicked. No one cries, they won't return. No one lays a lily on their face. The good man scorns the wicked. Through their lives our children learn. What we miss when we That's an honorable mention. And do you know why? Because it's truthful? Well, it's not that. It's, it, 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 you know, it shows us the mob mentality once again, mm -hmm. which I'm very fascinated with. Yes. But it also introduces the idea of a narrator that is an active part of the story. And this is where I was like, oh, this is a bit like Woods because the narrator in Woods becomes the mysterious man. It's It was putting it in 
it gives it perspective. It gives it specificity of action to have Glinda mm-hmm. telling the story, right? And it, yeah. it sets it off as a good piece of narration rather than mm-hmm. once upon a time in a yeah. far off place mm-hmm. called Oz. Yes. There were two witches who were roommates. I know. Yeah. And then that narrator just tells a story and you're like, why are you telling the story? I don't understand. Yeah. So I like that. I like the setup. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it moves it along and I dig it. I dig it. Mm-hmm. And you've got it's all a great the- opening number. Yeah, it is. Would you like that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's going to set up that wizard motif. Yeah. It's got, it's got a little bit of the, it's got a little bit of vaudeville in there, which is mm-hmm. like a, a nod to the original Wizard of Oz written in that mm-hmm. time period, which is, it's just interesting. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's a good opening. It is a very good opening. It didn't make my list, but it is an honorable mention because you're right. Like it sets up a mob mentality. It introduces yeah. Glinda with an interesting framing device of this is all from her perspective, even though some of yeah. how it could be from her perspective because she's not on stage, but be that as it may. Um, on stage she's just underneath it no there you go that's a good way to put it that's a good way to put it lynn as i said i find i am so appalled at that first song first scene which is really the ending of the musical Mm -hmm. that she does nothing she has done nothing from the beginning and she's done nothing at the end so (sighs) honorable mention let me say Fair. Fair, fair, fair. Mackenzie Horner, what is your third? So this was hard because I had I had a lot of honorable mentions. I had wonderful, what is this feeling? No good deed. But I had to go with for good. I have been changed for good. And just to clear the air, I ask forgiveness for the things I've done you blame me for. We know there's blame to share And none of it seems to matter anymore Like a comet cold shepherd As it passes a wind off the sea A stream that meets a boulder Halfway through the wood Who can say if I've been changed for That was my what? that was my third choice. I went with it because it's a beautiful climactic song of the piece. It's transcended the musical, which makes it has a neat X factor is that it's done at graduations. I mean, when I was at the hospice on my last weekend with my nanny and I was trying to figure out what to say, I just sang this song and it said everything I had to say at the end. Yeah. Like, that's what I like about this piece is, is it a perfect song? No. But what's neat is you look at where the, where they, where these two started with, and what is this feeling? And you look at the journey to now at the end, where both acknowledge they've done wrong to one another. And yet they also go, you've changed me. Because they say the line, who can say if I've been changed for the better? I do believe I have been changed for the better. 
I do believe I have been changed for good. So it's them acknowledging the, the change that's happened in the story. Whether or not you believe, fully believe Glinda's sincere about what she's saying is an entirely different side of it. But I think what, at least Elphaba sees Glinda as someone who is a friend, because she gives her the book. She gives her the magic book and says, you must continue on and, 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 and like continue to make change. You have, like she, go, she says, I'm limited. Just look at me, I'm limited. And just look at you. You could do all I couldn't do, Glinda. Dreams, the way we plan them. Because now it's up to you for both of us. Now it's up to you. And Alphabet says, you're the only friend I've ever had. And Glinda says, I've had so many friends, but only one that mattered. And Bull that's Alphabet. Bullshit. I disagree. I mean, Alphabet is the reason why Glinda's where she is. Oh, She's the one person that mattered to her. Crap. I don't believe her. I do not she has done absolutely nothing <laughs> to earn my trust. Here, I'm giving you the book because El because uh, uh, Elphaba trusts and has no uh, does no change, does know how to adapt, does know how to read the room, and is not and is not uh, um, politic about it, but mm -hmm. does to survive properly and it, she believes in this friend of hers here i'm giving you the book and you can do good she knows that the woman can do good whether the woman does good or not is the issue and the fact that you've got that first scene which is the end of the musical she does absolutely nothing so from the beginning to the end she has not earned my my, my trust what does Linda say in the beginning? I just want to go back and read exactly what she I said. I think it's a trick song. It's a trick song to be a hit at graduations, at funerals, at memorials, to be sung because the person singing it believes in what in the lyrics of that because maybe when you're singing it to your grandmother, she did do exactly as the song says. Yep. But the person singing it here, I don't believe it for a second. But it's a weird, like, for me, it's like, I've always questioned the lyrics of this song. Of course. Like, uh, they say, um, uh, so much of me is what I learned from you. You'll be with me like a handprint on my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it's like, I, I, who can say if I've been changed for the better? Well, if they're a handprint on your heart, you've been changed for the better. Yeah. No, I think it's a play on words, and it I, is. And I think that the that the uh, that the lyricist, Mr. Schwartz, and the book writer haven't read, haven't been in the same room at the same time to read what the other has written. They don't get it. I just, I just like some of it, like like a ship blown from its mooring by a wind off the sea. It's very epic, but I'm like, it what is. does this mean? Nothing. It's crap. what does what does that mean? Like a seed dropped by a skybird in a distant wood. Who can say if I've been changed for the better? Well, how do those two lines relate to nothing. whether or not you've been changed? But is a seed going to turn into a tree, or is it going to turn into nothing? Nothing. That this was a hit song. That's what they were writing. It was a yes. hit song because it was two women singing together about their friendship. And who can say if you made a difference in my life? But but if you're looking, if you're looking, 
if you're looking right clearly at this musical, at these two women, it's crap. It is dishonest for one of them and honest for the other one. Yeah, Glinda says, who can say if I've been changed for the better, but because I knew you, I have been changed for good. Lying. Meaning, well, once again, but then Glinda says, but you're right, but then Elphaba says you're right, because because Elphaba's more sincere. She goes, like a handprint on my heart, and now whichever way our story is in, I know you've rewritten mine by being my friend. So Glinda's a little bit, like, like Glinda says, you've changed me, you, you've changed me for good, meaning you've impacted my life, but she doesn't say you've changed me for the better. That's right. So there is some undertow here that Glinda is more political in what she says to Elphaba. Yeah, so who cares? It's I know, but political. I know. I, I, I just like the song. I think it's a very lovely duet. Anyway, I had the, uh, 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 for good is on my ick list. It's on your ick list? Okay. What? Okay, so my number one on my skip list is Dear Old Shiz. that song doesn't serve it. yeah it's basically it's there to do the scene change and give the actors who's playing glinda time to change costumes exactly that's it's, all it's there to do it's it's not lead, it's not per, lot purposed no the lead up well it, mm -hmm. it, it, it makes the lead up dishonest tell yeah. us about what it was like oh, oh i'm going to tell you those days uh, i'm those days when i went to school and here we have it but you know dear old shiz nothing they don't take the thought from the previous scene and expand it. So yeah. get rid of the song. I don't care if they, they have to come on naked, have a quick change, or be more honest and write a song that will take the thought you established in the previous scene and and uh, expand it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I, I can guarantee you when this is movie musical is made, this song will become an instrumental track, if anything. Yeah. Which one? Dear Old Shiz, Shiz, the school song. Nothing. It's, it's a skippable song. It's it's one I'm like, okay. You don't there. need it. No, once all. again, once again, it's there for the scene change and, and for the quick change. It was designed to give Glinda time to do her quick change. So that's that one. Autumn, what is your number one on your skip list? Dancing through life. Dancing through life, skimming the surface, gliding where turf is smooth. Life's more painless. For the brainless, why think too hard when it's so soothing? Dancing through life, no need to tough it when you can slough it off as I do. Nothing matters, but knowing nothing matters, it's just life. So keep dancing. That was on my skip list, too. Wow. Okay. If you're going to make him dance through life, at least give him an upbeat number. This is like almost Reason. balletic. I'm like, this is lame. This is the version Next. they called the sting version because they, because they orchestrated five different versions. Oh. Because this was the last minute replacement song. I like this. I, 
Because, you like it? I, yeah, I, because it's easy mm-hmm. and it's slidy and mm-hmm. sliding through life. I don't want it upbeat because then he has to put through effort to dance through it. True. He's sliding through life. Oh, I kind of, I think it establishes who he is. I liked it, but okay, go ahead. I just don't think you need the character. <laughs> I just never or, like, Yeah. I don't think you need the song. Right. Yeah. I don't think you need the subplot. I would rather focus on them and their journey. Yeah. And yeah. keep mm-hmm. in their relationship and their struggle. I think that's way more interesting. So people making the movie, listen up. They're not going to cut Fierro. There is no way this movie. You don't need him. I don't even like, when I was listening to it again, I'm like, oh yeah, he's a character. He is. You don't just, need a love triangle to make it interesting. It, it, it. It makes it trite. Yeah. And I hate it. Very Degrassi. It's very Degrassi. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. It doesn't even have the complexity of Mean Girls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't like it because simply like I identify with Fierro. I'm always more of a Bach than a Fierro. So I don't think you need Bach or Nessa either. Forget it. Oh, I like Nessa Rosenbach. I think they have a great subplot with with what happens to them. And and it's tragic what happens to Nessa Rose. She falls for the first guy that actually showed her kindness. And he was like... Not into her. Not into her. Bribed. Bribed by Glinda. (laughs) Not not one of her best Uh moments. (laughs) I don't know if she has a best moment. I, mm. she's always just a little bit self-serving. I will never argue that. She is very self-serving, but I do think there's more to her journey than just she is self-serving. I do think there is some complexity to her. Yeah, there's some struggle there, but in the end, she still gets what she wants, even if she lost a friend. Yep. Oh, well, I'm Glinda the Good. Yes. The Wicked Witch is dead. Yeah. Exactly. It's a perfect, uh, she's a performance. Yes. This whole episode has just become about the argument over Glinda. It's me. It's, it's, it's just the Glinda debate this episode's become. It's not. I understand her struggle. It mm-hmm. must be very hard to be that popular and privileged. Mm-hmm. I mean, to think that you might fall off of that and to actually risk and do something different that strays from that, that must be really hard. It's like what I say about people who hate all the time. I'm like, it must be really hard to choose that path. Mm-hmm. But there are other paths to choose. So therefore, I don't feel sorry for them anymore. <laughs> Autumn, you're the best. <laughs> yeah, for me, I just never identify with Fiero. I've been burned by systems that reward people like Fiero that just breeze through and get rewarded for that when people actually do the hard work. Yeah. So yeah, trust me, I've been in there in that system and I, uh-huh. and I go, the yeah. system is happening all the time. It is. It is. It no is. good deed goes unpunished. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, dancing through life. That was my number three. Dear Oshiz was my number one. Autumn was your number two. I'm pleased that, that Fiero comes around and, and finds a, a nice change. So the irony him. of losing it is interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that that actually is a good trajectory. Oh, yeah. I found some sensibility. Oh, I lost my brain. I'm now a scarecrow. And now I'm a scarecrow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like any of the wizard songs. I'm kind of like, I don't Really? I would have thought you would have. 
I thought you would have liked the message in Wonderful where he's basically laying out the whole system. A man's called a traitor or a liberator. A rich man's a thief or philanthropist. Is one a crusader or ruthless invader? It's all in which label is able to persist. There are precious few at ease with moral ambiguities. So we act as though they don't exist. They call me wonderful. So I am wonderful. In fact, it's so much who I am. It's part of my name. And with my help, you can be the same. That people believe anything when, when when you tell them to it like it's a very no, I, don't, I don't need someone if i need to sit there and listen to, i know that already i know that it's kind of sure. like a that's a hammer over the head for me yeah but it doesn't have the satire that something like you're in town does true true right that's satire yeah where it's kind of like oh yeah this is great i'm doing this it's yeah. all good i'm laying it out yeah but wonderful isn't a satire piece it's a salesman song it's it's the wizard going alphaba i can tell people what they want to like, like what they need to hear yeah. and i can make you good because he said his line to her is the truth is is that a thing or a fact or reason the truth is is it's just what everyone agrees on a man's called a traitor or a liberator, a rich man, a thief or, or a philanthropist. One, one's a crusader and another a, a ruthless invader. It's all in which label is able to persist. There are precious few at ease with moral ambiguities, so we act as though they don't exist. So they call me wonderful, so I am wonderful. In fact, it's so much who I am, it's part of my name. And with my help, you can be the same. At long, long last, receive your uh, uh, your due, long overdue, Alphaba, the most celebrated, the rehabilitated. There will be such a whoop-de-doo, a celebration throughout Oz that's all to do with you. It's it's the devil on her shoulder going, just give in. It, it, that's a wonderful sales hey, pitch now, song. Those lyrics are great, but I don't listen to the song because I'm like, Oof, the wizard, who cares? Um, I think it would be more interesting to have Glinda sing that. Yeah, maybe it's like a parlay, like uh, I got a parlay to Alphaba. Like, yeah. Like, think, think about what you're doing. And when you're in the system, how you can shift it. Well, you know what? When you're in a system, you become part of that system and there's no yeah. shifting. Actually, I would love to see Glinda sing this song. I think that's a great, I, actually, I think that's a better way to do that scene. Dramaturge to the stars right here. Autumn. I support but that. Then we get her inner working mechanics and we get yes. to see her wisdom yes. and we get to see her going, this is how you do it. This is how, because yeah. it's how not a bad it. argument. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. if you label it. I'm a crusader or a hater. Liberator, yeah. Whatever. Invader, yeah. It, it's all about perception. Mm -hmm. And how can you manipulate the masses to your way of thinking? Mm -hmm. It's very clever, but because it's the wizard, I'm kind of like, Nah, I don't care. Yeah. I but agree. if it were Glinda singing it, I would really listen acutely because I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, and the stakes would be higher because she has more invested. Yeah. The wizard's just like, oh, here's a pawn I can, yeah. you know. Autumn, I like oh, your my daughter. Yeah. My daughter. Yeah. 
I like your change, Autumn. I like I like that. Lynn, what are your thoughts on wonderful? <laughs> I I I, uh, I have the word lied. So you lied, you know, alphabet. Mm-hmm. She she just zooms in and says, "So you lied." Mm-hmm. Oh no 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 no! I did that. Blah, 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 blah. No no. Alphaba has Alphaba has a great BS uh, um, uh, detector. Yeah, yeah detector. Can, yeah, a Geiger detector, mm-hmm. and she comes out there and and just lays lays him out, and so his truth is revealed to her. He's a liar. Yeah, but it is. You know, he makes everybody feel good. So you're a liar. So you lie. Yeah. And then he, yeah. Uh, 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 and then he says only verbally. Besides, there were lies they wanted to hear. Where I come from, we call it history. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's just he's finding an excuse for everything to continue the BS. So I don't care. You know, only verbally. Well, how else? Yeah. How else do you get your message across? Are we talking Morse code? What are you talking about? Yeah. It's words. Yeah. The other thing about the song that needs to change mm-hmm. is it needs to become a patter song. Huh. Sure. Yeah. I agree with that. Schwartz. Like and I was like, oh, when I was listening to it again, I'm like, oh, and I had forgotten about the song completely. That's how much I cared about it. Uh, I was like, oh, I hope this is a patter song mm-hmm. because then you'd get that sales job. You get that Harold Hill. Yes. You know? Yeah, but they went with like a blues of Kansas type of that That smoke and mirrors that the patter song does, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you, it's too fast to get deep. Yeah. So, um, listen up, Schwartzy and Holtzman. Take this Plat. change. Yeah. Plat Take this change. Both the changes, Glinda, Patter song. Yeah. It's a very, it, actually, it's a very good follow-up to it Thank Goodness. Me. Yeah. It's a very good follow-up to Thank Goodness, because if it, Glinda did sing this as a parlay to Alphabet to say, come over, we can real, like, like we can sway the masses on, on, on them about you. The wizard would never take time for Alphabet. He wouldn't take time to say, oh, Alphabet, come work for me. She's already screwed him over. Exactly. He would be like, Glinda, you do the bidding. Yeah. You do it. You know her better than I do. You're Glinda the Good. You do yeah. it. Here's what I want you to say. Sound familiar to a conversation we were talking about earlier? Mm-hmm. You be the messenger. Here. Here's your script. Yeah. And she could actually read it. And it could get out of control. And then she gets wrapped up in the, the lingo that he's prepared for her. Yes. Far more interesting. I agree, Autumn. I agree. Lynn, what was your uh, second choice? Oh, um, for out uh, 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 the the ick ones, um, it was uh, uh, I think we talked about it. A dear old shiz. Yeah, we I got that four, one. We're good. I want I loathe. Right. And my last one is actually the reprise for Glinda of "I'm Not That Girl" because ah, I, I think have the original. Too much. It's investing too much uh thought and uh conviction into a character who has none i just go both versions of that song the original and the reprise yeah they're okay. generic. Kill the love story kill yeah. the love story mm-hmm. kill it all except their journey 
as a, a friend or something else. Yeah. Make it ambiguous. Way more mm -hmm. interesting. Take out the love triangle. Take out the, the subplot can stay, but who cares about the munchkin? Like, honestly, Bach, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's so much more interesting if Nessa Rose is, uh, you know, just caught up in it. And yeah. she's not, she doesn't get the governance. And, uh, you know, it's the whole thing is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. There we go. We've did them all. My three were dear old shiz. I'm not that girl dancing through life. Autumn, you had wonderful dancing through life. And was dear old shiz on your list? I mean, sure. I just, you know, yeah, the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> Autumn's line there. I love that line. And then Lynn and then Lynn yours was dear old shiz. I'm not that girl reprise and for good. So there we go, everybody. We've made it through. But yeah. before we go, let's give our final thoughts. Does this musical still have a place today? It's coming back already because it's coming back from COVID land. Um, so should, should this musical continue to run or should we shelve it? Of course it should. This is my personal opinion. Of course it should because the sheep want to see this musical and if it employs actors to tell a story, just put it up there. But is it a good, is it, is it earth shattering? Is it something that should be being done? No. No, mm -hmm. it shouldn't. It's not, it's not, it needs refinement. Yeah. It needs a serious ref, refining dramaturgical lens. Higher Smith. People think this is good. Mm -hmm. And they will go see this before they go see a Merrily We Roll Along. Yep. Yeah. Which is, astronomical to me mm -hmm. it just shows the herd mentality that lands us into a pot of boiling water mm -hmm. with glinda in her bubble <laughs> yeah yeah lynn what are your thoughts uh, uh shelvin i think it's i think it's a dishonest totally dishonest musical i don't see any reason for it Never mind that people like this kind of candy floss. There is other candy floss they can go and seek. No, th this isn't a good enough musical to waste our time with. Mm -hmm. Fair. I mean, mm, I think this piece does have merits. I think there's a lot you can do with this from the direction to some dramaturgical rewrites and reworking this piece a bit. But I do think there's some good stuff there. And it, it, it's a rare dual female-led musical, which yes. is... A, rare thing to find and it's and so because of that i'm like no we should we still should do it doesn't mean it's a perfect musical no musical is perfect as autumn says many a times art is ever evolving and ever changing yes. just because this worked in 2003 doesn't mean we shouldn't go back to it and go let's rework this a bit more our our, our views and times have changed let's see what we can do to fix this up a bit like there's yeah. a, it has a lot to say about politics about the herd mentality about about media and politicians like there's a lot of shit going on under under the surface here but there's kind of got a way to approach it which comes from doing some dramaturgical rewriting big dramaturgical yeah. rewriting yeah because galinda needs to have we need to see more of her mm -hmm. and we need to see more of her struggle and we need to see more of her being going from this popular i'm going to make you popular 
Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got these people on my side to, oh, Alphaba, mm-hmm. you know, she's got a point to selling out to the mm-hmm. rise, to the, like, we need more of that. We need more of that. So I think it needs to be, maybe it needs to become Glinda's story. It should be Glinda's story. She has the better arc. That's more interesting that you can develop further. She does, but it's not full yet. No, and because when they were writing, be- they wanted to balance out Glinda and Elphaba in the original writing. And I think that's where they misstepped. They should have kept it as Glinda's story. Because in the the logo, as, as seen from my Broadway cup, it's it's um, Glinda whispering to Elphaba. So what is Glinda whispering to Elphaba? Like, what is the secret? But again, you have this very black and white mentality. Literally <laughs> in the logo. Look, look at it. Yeah. Black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. But no, I mean, everybody, I know we're going to get some comments on this one because I know there are some big fans of Wicked out there. But if you want to have an open dialogue with us, talk to us. We'll happily discuss with you. We love dialogues. We do. I mean, as seen from this episode, from the get-go, we were debating if Glinda from from the very, from like two sentences in. <laughs> like this has been a Pete, this has been a great opening to season four. It's a great show of how even when we don't agree on something, we are all still friends here. Yeah. We're, we're, oh, we're, yeah. we're not going to storm away and go, I'm never speaking to Lynn again because she called Glinda a villain. It's yeah. no, that's a very no. valid argument. And there's good dramaturgical evidence in this piece that that validates and supports that view look at it conversations are to help us grow and to mm -hmm. learn other perspectives yep if you're going away just thinking you need to be right all the time friends you need to shift your perspective agreed that's that's (laughs) you're not going to go anywhere yeah or you just might (laughs) which is the frightening thing yeah But there we go, everybody. We'll leave it on that note. Be out there. Make change. Make waves. Be an alphaba. Speak up. Yeah. Make it that good deeds do go unpunished. Yeah, yeah, do go. Yeah, exactly. That'd be good. But yes, there we go. Lynn, where can people find and follow you? Uh, Mm Slotkinletter.com. And then I do radio, which is CIUT Friday mornings, every Friday morning from 9 to 10 on CIUT 89.5. Love it. And that's uh, uh, Twitter at Slotkin Letter. I'm on Facebook as well. I can't remember what the handle is, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Lynn, you are coming back for another episode this season. So. We can't wait to have you back for the next one. Great. Before we go, though, we want to give a quick shout out to Mr. Brody Weld, our wonderful theme music composer, who came to New York to see Wicked with me when we were on our grade 10 class trip. Uh, I'll, I'll have to show you the video vlog documentary we made of our time in New York. It's a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there we go. Go listen to Brody's music. Father flows this. He's got some great tracks out there, like home decor. You can't miss them. Spotify, Bandcamp, Apple Music, all that good stuff. Uh, oh. You can, yeah, you can cho- you, you can check out on our YouTube page. Autumn and I, uh, before the start of this season, we did a live movie musical commentary. That you can listen to. You probably voted for one. We don't know which one you voted for yet because we are 
unclear of what won the vote, but we are, it, we, I'm sure we had a great conversation. Uh, we are still time to do our season three survey. That's, that's mm -hmm. that link is still active. Yes. So get out there and give us your feedback on that mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. And then follow us on Patreon where you can get more movie musical commentaries, a top 10 list, maybe a top 10 list of top 10 Christian Chenoweth performances. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but we do that. We do monthly theater news. So as theater is now reopening, it's the perfect time to tune in and find out what I might think about all this, of what's being brought back, what isn't coming back to, to, the, to the Great White Way and, and to um, the West End and to, and to Toronto theater. So we'll talk all about that good stuff. So check it out. Autumn, where can people find and follow you and all your company antics, your radio antics? Where can they find you? Autumn DM Smith, Littlewood Smith, Timber Beast Productions, and the Lesbianist FM. Love it. Love it, love it, love many. it. There's too There's quite a few tags in there. There's a lot of tagging that's happening. There is. There is. Uh, you can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner on all social media platforms where you can follow me and all my antics, whether it's me doing some stuff with Cup of Hemlock, doing some stuff with the podcast, or just chilling up, uh, uh, chilling up at my parents' place, doing some gardening, all that good stuff. Uh, we can't wait to do more season four with you. We got some really fun stuff planned. We have our 50th episode coming up this season, and it's another big one. So that's an exciting uh, episode. We're going to have some fun there, Autumn and I. But until then, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and remember to make sure good deeds are not punished. And we should always mourn the wicked. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.